0: to another Philanthropy Plugged In podcast, a series exploring the intersection of technology, gender, and giving. My name is Jeannie Sager, and I'm the director of the Women's Philanthropy Institute and your host for this podcast series. Thank you for joining us. In today's episode, our guest, Deanna Kearns, Associate Director of Corporate Partnerships at the Anne and Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago, Illinois, We'll talk about her work with the gaming community and efforts to move all peer-to-peer fundraising online. The future of fundraising is here. Deanna, welcome to Philanthropy Plugged In. How about you um, share a little bit about yourself um, with our listeners and how you got involved with gaming and fundraising?
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and share where fundraising is kind of taking us in the future. I was a student at the University of Iowa when I was first introduced to philanthropy. I was a freshman and my sister's, or my friend's sister, told us about the University of Iowa Dance Marathon. And from that moment on, my whole perspective changed on my future. And I had participated in my first dance marathon in 2019. And Dance Marathon is a Miracle Network dance marathon that benefits Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. So after graduation in 2012, I began my career at Children's Miracle Network Hospitals just days after graduation. And since then I've come back to Chicago and to Lurie Children's after working in Iowa, California, all over the country, supporting local hospitals and over 80 dance marathon programs. I've had the pleasure of seeing how this philanthropic effort for college and high school students has changed so many lives and including my own. Um, and so how this, how this all started was in 1991, students at Indiana University founded Dance Marathon in memory of Ryan White. And he was a fellow student who passed away from HIV and AIDS. This program now spans across North America, benefiting hundreds of hospitals and countless kids in the United States and Canada. These dance marathon programs, much like I participated in in college, have become a campus tradition. So each of these organizations are completely student run and 100% of the funds go directly back to that school's local hospital. And so by participating in these events, At a young age, you know, college students and high school students, whether it be Extra Life, our online gaming platform, or Dance Marathon, standing together in unison for your children's hospital, we're now learning at a young age the power of philanthropy and wanting to do something with their career. These students are going on to be child life specialists at our hospital, or they're working in philanthropic offices and in foundations to raise important philanthropic funds Um, and so it was it was really actually an honor for me to be able to start my career at a young 22 year old age um, and really see where um, philanthropy has grown in these past years and also just how Children's Miracle Network has really taken um, fundraising and, and grown it into what it's become.
0: So tell us a little bit more about because for many of us fundraising with the gaming community is a relatively new idea Um, And as you mentioned, um, the Children's Miracle Network has been engaged in this work for more than 10 years. Um, So you shared a little bit how it started, but how does it work?
1: Yeah, of course. I'm happy to. Um, So Extra Life unites thousands of gamers around the world to play games in support of their local hospital. The story of Extra Life actually started in Texas with a young patient at Texas Children's named Victoria. She was diagnosed with leukemia at the age of 11 and a half, and she was treated at Texas Children's Hospital, where they held an annual radiothon, and she met the host named Doc. And the radiothons had been a traditionally, you know, call, make your donation, and and make an impact. And from that, um, Victoria and Doc made a very special connection. Victoria's cancer had returned to her after two relapses, and at that time, Victoria was going on to fight She had returned to the hospital for a very long stay. And Doc had asked her what she would like to do and and if she liked video games, and she responded that she loved them. And from there, video games were sent from around the world. Boxes of video games started arriving from everywhere. And, And they had so many video games that Victoria ended up donating other games to other kids in the hospital. And Victoria passed away. In 28, or 2008, after a four year battle with leukemia. And from that, Doc wanted to do something very special in her memory, and he came up with Extra Life. It occurred to him that gamers should be able to do what they love to help sick and injured kids, as well as participating in a 5K, or much like any of our other fundraising opportunities. And so that's where the gaming marathon began. Wow. In 2010, Extra Life became a Children's Miracle Network Hospital's program where they had. 4,500 gamers who came together and raised almost a half a million dollars. And that next year they grew and they raised a million. And to date, it's now raised over $70 million for 170 children's hospitals across the the nation. And so what that looks like is to join Extra Life, you visit our website, extralife.org, and you sign up and you can decide how you wanna participate. You can play Candy Crush, you can play tabletop games, you can play Scrabble, you can play alone, or you can play with your friends and family to fundraise. And the money that these gamers raise stays local in their communities to make an impact on, on the communities that they live in and that they work in.
0: That's great. So sticking with local, what role does gaming play um, within the overall fundraising strategy at Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago? Yeah we're very
1: lucky at Lurie Children's that we have a large staff donated or dedicated to Children's Miracle Network fundraising. So we come together um, the programmatic side of our team raises nearly two million dollars a year and that includes gaming. Um, So our gamers last year raised over two twenty two hundred and twenty five thousand dollars of that two million. Um, And so within that team, we're very lucky that we have focused team members who are able to work specifically on this programmatic fundraising and how we can engage digitally with our donors. And from that, gaming has really allowed us to take a virtual angle on a lot of these opportunities. We now have the ability to stream game days from our hospital on Twitch or engage with them in a way that we were never really able to do that before. Um, These gamers have really taught us a lot about the digital world and and what is out there. And it's a really, it's an amazing community that is so willing to come together to celebrate uh, the work that we do at our hospital.
0: Let's dig a little bit deeper into who these um, donors are. Can you share a little bit about the demographics of these donors, um, a little bit about their motivation? Um, why uh, do they participate? And then you know, with this particular report being about women give, um, what are you seeing in terms of women being engaged in gaming?
1: Yeah, of course. It was a very interesting study that we were a part of in 2019 that Stasta.com did that over 46% of video and computer gamers were female. And so for extra life, 39% of our gamers are female. Um, And gamers can typically age anywhere from 16 years old all the way up to 75, 80 years old. Everyone's a gamer. Um, You can be a gamer if you're playing games on your phone, computer, tablet, almost everybody in an online or or offline capability are able to be considered a gamer. Um, And so our extra lifers are super connected online. Um, What we're seeing is that a lot of our participants are active on an average of four channels across the online board. Um, And so that usually increases their online engagement starting anywhere around 11 a.m. And then we have our kind of night owl extra lifers who go late into the evening as well too. Um, the majority of our gamers are considered millennial gamers. So they're very connected and influential across multiple social networks. Um, But so a lot of the the demographics that we've really found to be impactful is a lot of these are, you know, um, people who are making around $75,000 a year, primarily shopping in the gaming sector. But outside of gaming, their other interests include toys and technology and one of the most important things that we've found is that these people are very passionate about humans rights causes and that's how they really get involved in giving back to their local communities in this virtual way through Extra Life.
0: Yeah. So um, absolutely fascinating um, and thank you for all of that data um, but kind of going back to your origins, you came to this work with a background in dance marathons, mm-hmm. um, and and which is, um, I know personally, an intensive in-person, um, and perhaps we might even call it an extreme in-person experience. And so in light of the growth of online giving, um, gaming, and apps that encourage giving, um, I think our listeners would be interested in hearing your thoughts about the future of in-person events like dance marathons. You know, we are recording this episode during COVID, and every day we hear of a new cancellation of um, major in-person um, events um, that are kind of nationally recognized. Um, like for instance, the Susan Susan G. Komen just announced that they will be closing their affiliate offices and and um, and changing um, what's happening with Race for the Cure. So, given given the time that we're in, given the experiences that you have had, um, um, what are your thoughts on this? In terms so of in person events moving forward, actually, it is a very timely
1: conversation for us. Um, when COVID nineteen hit, we actually had to cancel around fifteen in person events. Um, and so, what that looked like was we were really in the Essentially, what we're calling the heat of dance marathon season. So, we have a, mm-hmm. a from about January to the end of May, our team is really road warriors, is what we call ourselves. And we are at university, high school, elementary school campuses hosting these events. And so, especially now um, in the light of COVID 19, we've really had to shift. And it has been extremely uh, it 's been an extreme honor for me to be able to see and what our what these people were able to do and come together as donors for larry children 's Hospital we actually um, with some help of what we 've actually learned from our extra life were able to come together and host two very successful university college zoom dance marathon events and so what that looked like was these students were pouring their passion for these in-person events in person events and this human, you know, creative context that, that we have to connecting with others and really brought it online. So they were doing Instagram lives, they were TikToking, they were on Zoom. And what they did was they told the story of Larry Children's in a very beautiful way to create the connection that they had during their in person dance marathon event. And so it was very, awesome to see these students come together at a time that the world is so unknown and what that can look like. And they came together strong and they created a, an amazing experience, whether they were, you know, in their parents' backyard or they were in, you know, their childhood bedroom and made it feel like they were all celebrating together in that student union, much like they would in person. So I think for me, I'm very hopeful to continue to see how we can now take these digital tools that we've really had to create and engage them more as a, an addition to our in-person events when we get back to that. So what could it look like for somebody if they're unable to attend in person, but they could be with us virtually all always. Um, and so it's been a really uh, interesting experience for us to, to look into that and see that at Lurie Children's.
0: How has your staff, what has your staff done to kind of shift, um, you know, um, that intensive team warrior road warrior experience to helping um, helping these 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 students reimagine what this looks like online.
1: Yeah, I think it's been a lot of it's been a lot of phone conversations. It's been a mm-hmm. lot of Zoom meetings. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the most important thing for our team was a to make sure that our students were in safe and healthy environments for themselves, and then B, knowing that they were all in those environments and comfortable, then they could reevaluate what that looked like. I think it's important for us to continually, you know, create that connection along, you know, being actual human beings throughout all of this Mm -hmm. as well too, and making sure that they were feeling connected to their new environment. But then also, you know, we've really shifted to more of a how can we help support you through this and what ideas do you have that we can help bring to fruition versus more of a hands-on holding um, type of conversation that we've had to do in the past. And so it's been really interesting. The students have come up with tons of ideas. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I think as you continue to see how these five Ks and all of these different events that we are so used to hosting in public are moving virtually. It's been actually really exciting to see how they're coming together with digital tools and, you know, just providing um, a lot of different opportunities that way.
0: Thank you. So, kind of uh, uh, building on this digital tools in um, um, the future of fundraising, you know, we're taking a new to take new fund take, to take the new fundraising landscape further. Um, we're learning that individuals can now make charitable contributions via um, Alexa. Mm -hmm. Um, So as of now, Amazon and Alexa have partnered with more than 350 nonprofits to encourage charitable giving. And so this is just another example of the growing intersection of technology and giving. Um, Do you have any experience with Alexa and charitable giving? Um, Do you envision making contributions this way will become more common for, for, for donors?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think at at Children's American Network, we're always exploring the ease of donating and what that can look like. Um, So it's Alexa, make a donation to this hospital's radiothon or Alexa, donate to our local hospital. I think everything that we continue to do and evolve is ease uh, for a donor perspective, but then also being able to make an impact on your community. Um, And so Alexa fundraising is creating the ease and opportunity for others, much like all the other technological advances that we're making. So this Alexa connects directly to your Amazon Pay, which right now who isn't using Amazon to make their deliveries or for their needs? Um and so why not make donations there? Um I'm continuously we're continuously looking at, you know, how Alexa is currently only by invite only, but I think as this continues to grow, soon Alexa donations will be just one other way that we as a charity are able to engage with our donors to help to increase the ease of making a donation. You know, I think back to when Venmo came out and you're able to just make a quick donation from your bank account and all of those types of things. I think Alexa is just another example of how we're going to be able to continue to um, increase the engagement surrounding ease of donation for our donors.
0: So Deanna, um, you have had a front row seat um, in this future of fundraising um, and have really pushed the needle on this in so many ways. Um, So as my final question today, What advice can you offer our listeners about navigating the environment with gaming um, and or even more broadly with digital fundraising and giving? What are some risks and rewards, maybe some challenges, and opportunities that our listeners should should be aware of moving in this direction?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I think we always will hit road bumps with with digital fundraising. I think that's inevitable. Um, But when I was thinking about this, I actually think back to Facebook fundraising and how far that we've really come just on that one platform alone and looking at, you know, our top five university dance marathon programs, over 26% of their funds are raised through Facebook, which connects to their Venmo, which connects to another digital platform. And so all of these things continue to tie together. And so I think that the future of digital fundraising is, is simple. We need to continue to help our donors make a quick, impactful gift, and that we need to continue to increase, and that will help continue to increase the funds in our donor database that we have as a charity. Um, and I think that what we've learned with you know, our, our millennial students, but then also our gamers is that these guys are, have taken our message and our hospital needs digitally way before others. Um, And so they continue to lead with technology. They continue to ask questions on, well, why can't we do it this way? Or here's this resource that we haven't explored yet. Um, And so I think we continue to just learn so much from them um, on how we can continue to improve the way that we ask for a donation or continue to improve the way that we collect donations and steward the donations that we receive. Um, so I think that the future, we are just skimming the surface of what this can continue to look like in a digital fundraising platform. Um, and I think about, you know, where we've come, even just in my my short time with Children's Miracle Network of eight years, I mean, looking at the platforms that we've continued to build to allow these donors to engage in the work that we're doing is really important. Um, and so I think that just continuing to listen to the resources that we have to to help grow and think the power of our donors and the feedback that they give um, will continue to allow us to make those decisions
0: strategically moving forward. Deanna, thank you so much for joining me today for this episode of Philanthropy Plugged In. As a fundraiser myself, I know that fundraising is ever-evolving. Strategies to engage new donors and to reach donors where they are and in the way they wish to be engaged is indeed the new normal in fundraising. Your insights will help all of us sharpen our game. This episode is part of WPI's Philanthropy Plugged In podcast series, exploring ideas around technology, gender, and giving. Please check out our digital hub at wpisymp.iupui.edu for more information about all our activities and podcasts. For Philanthropy Plugged In, I'm Jeannie Sager. Thank you for listening.
1: Philanthropy Plugged In is a production of the Women's Philanthropy Institute at the Indiana University Lilly Family School of Philanthropy at Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis. Music is provided by Localize,